News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC, the New Yorkers podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city. I'm Christina Greer. I'm here with Katie Hellenin. Hey, Queens. Hey, Christy. Hey, Queens. Harry Siegel's off today. Hi, Harry. Let's jump right in with some of the news from another jam-packed week in New York City. Mayor Eric Adams and his team traveled up to Albany on Monday to push for more money for the city just days before the state's April 1st budget deadline. The money, he said, is mostly for migrants, as the city is spending roughly $5 million per day to house and care for the thousands of people who've come to New York City over the last year. Adam wants the state to cover the cost, which he now estimates is at $4.2 billion. He told reporters that, quote, the lawmakers up here that represent the city, they're clear this is a national issue that should not be on the backs of New Yorkers, and they're going to deliver it on our behalf. Also, if you're listening to this on a bus or train, the mayor also asked for more money for the MTA, even though the governor has proposed the city cough up $500 million for the MTA's bailout. Also this week, the Adams administration proposed its first mandatory composting rule for yard waste, things like leaves and twigs and grass, I guess, uh, starting later this year in Queens, which is the city's largest borough, which I'm guessing many, many yards. Um, I don't know how that's the yard count stand, you know, compares to other places, but I presume it's the place with the most yards. Uh, This is set to roll out through the rest of the city by the fall of 2024. And the announcement was made on the same day, voluntary curbside composting for food waste and yard scraps returned to Queens, with the other boroughs jumping in over the next year and a half. The ultimate goal is to reduce waste, improve cleanliness, and I presume continue the mayor's mission to obliterate every single rat in New York City. And finally, public advocate Jumani Williams and climate activists are calling on the New York Mets to rename City Field due to the fossil fuel investments made by the bank. Citibank signed a 20-year naming rights deal when it opened in 2009 that costs around $20 million a year. No word on what billionaire Mets owner Steve Cohen thinks about the name or if he could buy out the rights. Katie, in an ideal world, <laughs> what would we call the ballpark where the Mets play? You know, some people want it to be Shea Stadium again, and I think that seems pretty cool to me. Um, yeah, I'm totally into it. But yeah, are we biased, though, because we're both from Queens? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what else would people... It's funny, we had an episode on Sunday about things that are named in New York City. William Shea was named. Uh, he's mentioned in uh, the author's book. But, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff named for City uh, City Bank. City Bike, would we rename that? Um I would rather have City Bike renamed than an entire city field, especially because, I mean, they're paying the $20 million a year. But I, I guess that's just um, – I guess that money just goes back to Steve Cohen to some degree. It's not like it's going back into yeah. the city even though it's on city-owned land. Um, but who knows? There could be a contest or something. I mean, this seems sort of like a shot in the dark on, on behalf of climate activists and Jamani Williams, even though, you know, it's a very important thing, obviously, talking about fossil fuel investments and their role in um, – a rapidly warming planet. Um, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, we had springtime in February. But you know what's so interesting? I love this idea about having students think of names. You know, they yeah. always come up with something like creative and original. But, you know, to your point about kind of climate change and young people, you know, when Joe Biden released or sort of relaxed some of the drilling rules in Alaska mm-hmm. you know, a week or two ago, I mean, my students were on it and they were very 
very disappointed. You know, many of them, I think, identify as Democrats. At least they voted in the last election, mm-hmm. their first big election as Democrats. And they're just like, this man is mortgaging our future. Like, we pretty much know the Republicans don't care about or believe in climate change in many ways. But, you know, they. I think they thought that Joe Biden would um, stand firm against some of this drilling. And so it it does create this this real tension uh, with young people in fossil fuels pending on location. Because I think, you yeah. know, when I told you guys a few weeks ago when I got back from New Mexico, I mean, a lot of folks are really into fossil fuels across the political spectrum because that's that's like the main source of where people make money. So it, it transcends partisan lines because people are like, listen, fossil fuels are fossil fuels. Let's make this cash before we suck all the oil out of the land. Yeah, and I think they call it, I guess, eco-anxiety for for young people. And I don't blame mm. them. This is sort of, mm-hmm. they've been um, surrounded by this. And in some parts of the world, they've seen the worst of it. Um, I mean, even like you noted, our, our sort of very warm winter, um, my colleague Sam Maldonado at the city did a story about what this means for the city's parks department, right? You have yeah. early blooms of flowers, likely more bugs because the winter was an opportunity for these bugs to die off in the cold weather. But when it's not that cold, they're surviving and thriving and reproducing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, it's cuffing seasons for the bugs. And that means we're just going to have more of them in the winter. So, um, yeah, and for yeah. right now, we had a mild winter, but we do know the effects of climate change bring severe storms. I mean, you've done amazing reporting on Hurricane Sandy. You know, oh, in many you. ways, you've like kept it in the in the political imagination of a lot of people who have just moved on. I mean, there's there are still families that are struggling from Hurricane Sandy. Like yeah. they'll never be the same, and their communities have since have yet to recover. So. One of the other effects of climate change is, you know, as we've seen in Mississippi this past week, you know, with these tornadoes and storms and obviously the hurricane seasons that come, you know, more in in southern regions. But, like, we're not immune to them either in New York. So, like, what does that mean for us in, like, this balmy winter, but also, like, things are going to pop off in August when it's hurricane season or these miscellaneous tornadoes that come out of nowhere? Or even, you know, Hurricane Ida in 2021, it wasn't even a a direct hit of a storm, but it caused such severe flooding that it killed people and destroyed a lot of homes, um, a lot of people's apartments. And when you're in a city that already is short, a lot of affordable housing, for a lot of people, that affordable housing was found in basements. So um, Yeah. And in Queens. Yeah. This is, I guess, the Queens episode. Well, I I mean, I I did see something about Zellner Myrie. Uh, in Albany, really mm-hmm. fighting for more affordable housing because obviously, however we're calculating it, doesn't work. I mean, yeah. you know, my disdain for Jay Z and his assistance in making Barclays a reality and the lack of affordable housing that exists, that was promised and exists, and all the people who were, you know, pushed out through eminent domain who'll never be able to afford uh, not just the city, but you know, that part of Brooklyn ever again. Yeah. Well, I guess speaking of Albany, as as we noted, the mayor and his team. Uh, I guess looked like maybe like a dozen or so staffers went up to Albany in his budget push. <clears throat> the budget deadline for the state is April 1st. So, um, you know, the mayor, interestingly enough, did not really speak that much on bail, which he's been talking a lot about mm-hmm. down here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the focus was just on like, give me the money. You know, this is the city is shouldering the costs of a lot of the for what is a migrant crisis. And he has frequently asked the governor for more money um, and also for the MTA. You know, the issues with the MTA, I think Governor Hochul's proposal for the city to kick in half a billion for, as part of that bailout, the mayor immediately opposed. Um, 
you know, and he he made a lot of news last year. I guess there were some reports that he was not that successful when it came to his Albany lobbying. But, you know, I think the administration seems to have at least they learned from maybe some mistakes they made last year. There were criticisms that they didn't go up early enough. They didn't do enough speaking to the actual lawmakers. You know, lawmakers mm-hmm. in particular are we all have egos, but I think they like to be uh they like for the mayor to play the game, right? To talk mm-hmm. to them, to come up, to send his people up, to really push for that. So, you know, we'll see in the state budget if it was successful um, and how these conversations sort of continue. And, and as you, we've noted multiple times, I think it's beneficial to have the governor and the mayor actually get along uh, for once. So that's helpful when it comes to these negotiations. Yeah. I think, Katie, you know, some of it also is like, a little bit of performance theater too, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, lawmakers want to see the mayor come up with the tin can, you know, obviously Kathy Hochul and Eric Adams at least outwardly have a much better relationship than say de Blasio and Cuomo. I mean, that right. that relationship was so petty, childish, toxic, and ridiculous. I mean, Andrew Cuomo was a hot mess, but like de Blasio didn't help the situation. And also it's like, play your position. Like you're asking, you're the one who's asking for money. And so to antagonize this man, like you're not getting what we need for New York City. But I think, you know, I I saw that part of the delegation up there is like Diane Savino, who spent a lot of time in Albany. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people have their own thoughts about different legislators, but it's like she still has a lot of friends. And because she was one of the more moderate to, you know, dare I say conservative Democrats, I mean, there are conversations that she can have with even Republican lawmakers that like sort of opens the door to some possibilities. Because it's like, you know, we're counting votes here at certain certain policy issues. but. Eric Adams needs a lot of money, you know, and I think he's much more savvy than de Blasio in the sense that he's not, de Blasio would say, hey, liberals on the Upper West Side, I'm going to make you all, you know, incorporate these immigrants into your schools and communities because I'm liberal and that's what we do. And he knows that like, you know, his voters like that on paper. They don't like that in practice. Like they, they love immigration reform in theory, but they don't want it in their schools and neighborhoods. Like, let's just, you know, put the cards on the table. So like Eric Adams knows that. So he's essentially saying like, Kathy Ogle, I need money because I'm not trying to force these interactions because he knows how it would end for him politically. So it's always this tension between like the local state and federal governments, because we do have, and I don't like to call things crises because it's like, we're a nation of immigrants. (laughs) by and large, except for chattel slavery and genocide of Native peoples. But, you know, by and large, people come to this country seeking something. This is nothing new, and we've had to figure it out before. And so this is just a continuation of a very long conversation that we've had as a nation. And I think the tension is, you know, we always cry poor mouth, like, oh, we don't have the money. I mean, we have the money. It's just we spend it on other stuff, defense, you know, foreign interventions, waste, whatever it may be. But I do hope that Eric Adams can get enough lawmakers to understand some of the tensions of like having this many people kind of influxed immediately and wanting to make sure that they're protected while also protecting folks who have already been here. Yeah, of course. So it doesn't turn into this competition, you know, because that's the worst part. And that is, you know, when I've covered um, tensions with you know, pre-migrants, but tensions with new homeless shelters coming up under the de Blasio administration. I think the the larger criticisms were lack of transparency, but then also, you know, I would see homeowners, and again, like whether or not I, I found it to be, uh, whether or not I agreed with them, I, I always, you know, as a reporter, I always try to at least understand people's motivations, right, beyond just the 
the worst thing you might imagine. And I think mm-hmm. for some people in neighborhoods I covered, they themselves were like, we don't feel that secure here ourselves, right? We pooled all our money, you have multi-generational families living in a home that you bought and it's uh, was your dream to buy it. And now you're afraid, not that mm-hmm. they had, it was not based in fact, but I can understand where their fears were coming from. Where it's like, they don't feel secure themselves. So then they feel threatened, right? With this, mm-hmm. mainly when I covered this Pan Am homeless shelter in Elmhurst, it was in, which is still open. So yeah, that is where I think people are coming from. But again, the city, in order to continue to house people and take care of people, they need money. And, and, and that's on top of all the other like financial strains the city is under. And then the needs of the city, the, the larger city with a more than $100 billion budget, there's a lot of stuff that needs to get paid for. Um, right. And I don't know if the city can even shoulder it's even, you know, the $500 million for the MTA. Well, and and I was just about to mention the MTA because, you know, I, I can't stand this Second Avenue subway. I think it's the biggest waste of money and time I have ever seen. And like, I wish they would just know when to fold them. It's like, it's a wrap. Like, we've spent, I don't know how many billions of dollars for like four subway lines and I know that we definitely need some sort of infrastructure on the Far East. I get it. But, like, this just seems like we're we're using plans that are, like, 60 years old. You know, like, it's just been a disaster from Jump Street. So, like, why – I don't understand why we don't look at, like, international cities who have figured out faster, less expensive ways to have express busing. I mean, like, why can't we just have a Zoom bus up and down, you know, second or third avenues? Like, I just – don't understand why they're so hell-bent on doubling down on this bad idea of, like, these four stops. It's, like, literally 60 years and four stops. Well, uh, again, I'll bring up Queens because we're both on it. Harry isn't here to stop us. You know, imagine... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> imagine someone, like, you know, again, where I grew up, we had the A train, but you're in a place in, in some parts of Queens where there's no subway at all. Nothing. And I'm looking at a map of Manhattan as I am right now, and I'm like... But the four, five, six is right there. Yeah. You know, like right. I'm used to like taking a train to the last stop, you know, when I've been into some parts of Queens and then getting on a bus to the, you know, that is what I'm used to in terms of public transportation. So as an outer borough person seeing like that they were spending all this money, time, energy on a subway, when there's another subway, what is this, two, three avenues over? It's crazy mm-hmm. to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, this sounds very simplistic. And please, if you're like a transit, I'm sorry, they're usually the people, the loudest voices on Twitter are usually men. If you're a tra- transit bro, don't come for me. This is just my observation. I'm not reading like the time sheets and stuff. Um, well, but- the Second Avenue subway advocates are strong. It's like, you're using talking points. It's the greatest thing ever. I'm like, it's a waste of money and time. I'm saying it now. Yeah. Like, and I'm, I was I'm on the just, board of the Writers Alliance and I said it then and I'm saying it now. Like it's just crazy. Look at it. I'm looking at this right now. 86th Street, right? Second Avenue subway. There's a fairway, there's an Ulta, and then there's another subway. That's mm-hmm. crazy to me when you have entire swaths of the city in the outer boroughs without subway access. So that with was not, always I mean, my with thing. Yeah. With that was the chip that I was born with on my shoulder being born in Queens. So that was sort of what I looked at. So again, this whole thing is, as you said, it's such a huge amount of money. Um, again, you get into the labor cost. Why it costs so much for the city to do things? Why it costs so much for the MTA to do things? I also have a very unpopular opinion. I was talking about this with a friend last night. Um, and I guess it's because it's sort of like when you're, you're used to bad things, you kind of, I've been conditioned to be used to this, but I was on went to take the subway last night. It was like 11 p.m. And 
was like eight minutes to my train, right? Mm -hmm. And I was talking earlier because I see people sometimes on Twitter. Like, I think there should be a rule. You shouldn't, you can't tweet the countdown clock unless it's 15 minutes or more. Because I see people sometimes are like, do better, MTA, which of course we want the MTA to do better. But it's like eight minutes. And to me, because I've been yeah. beaten down, eight minutes doesn't feel that long to me. Right. Well, you know, I, I have, what I have to check myself about, because I, I do think that's the case. But, you know, also, Katie, I've turned, I'm I'm over 40. So I've turned into one of those New Yorkers where after a certain time, I'm like, I'm just hopping in an Uber. I know it's terrible, but I'm no, like, I got to get home. I'm tired. Like, I'm old. Um, but I do think this is the piece that I have to check myself because I do believe in uh, better access for everyone to of be course. able to ride the subway, right? You know, and, and back in the day, pre-COVID, I would always have a monthly pass, which we know, you know, favors people who have a little more capital because I could put down mm-hmm. $130 at the beginning of the month and not even think about it, right? And where a lot of families just do not have $130 that they can use. So they end up spending way more every month because they've got to just essentially buy their tickets a la carte. But when you do think about it, and this is, you know, a different argument that's it's a little complex, but like to get from like the Bronx to like deep in Brooklyn for $2.75 mm-hmm. is kind of great, you know? Yeah. And I mean, so the, on the one hand, it's like, this is a modern miracle, right? I mean, we can move very quickly. You and I both know sometimes it's so much faster. You know, I tell people all the time yeah. who don't live here, it's like, don't take a cab this time of, you know, day. Like, you'll never get there. I mean, I was I moderated a panel last week. The panelist was 15 minutes late because she's from California. And she took a cab. She was oh, only a few minutes away. And it's like, oh, girl, you should have just hopped on the subway. But she didn't know, you know? So, like, there she was sitting in traffic. But, I mean, 275 to get, you know, across all five boroughs, you know, relatively speaking, is pretty impressive. But it's also... The other, the counter argument is for some people, $2.75 is a lot of money. Yeah. It's, and I, of course, me, me saying, me poo pooing the idea of complaining about less than 15 minute delays as bad. You know, I'm not taking into the, into account people who have to get to work, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I realize that. But sometimes I guess it's because I've, you know, I think back to my days when I used to have to wait for the Rockway Park mm-hmm. shuttle in Broad mm-hmm. Channel. And I think they ran like once an hour. So Ooh. I have felt the pain. Of That's basically LIR, right? So that is, but you know, I think uh, again, like you said, it is a it is a miracle that it could happen. You know, last night I was home, and you know, two to the seven, I was home in you know forty minutes or so. Um, and I could have taken, I mean, you know, that's the thing too. I also, thankfully, like I can afford an Uber when I need it, but I just didn't want to last right. night. Um, right. But this is, you know, this is always the, you know, this. This, I hope maybe lots of Second Avenue and Subway people. If if they, if you do make your case to us, chime in and and tag Chrissy on Twitter and remind her. <laughs> don't come for me unless I send for you. Don't needed, do it. <laughs> um, uh, so why don't we get to the other thing? Speaking of something that um, we had, it was taken put on pause. It's back. The two composting proposals, right? The first is this yard waste stuff, and then the second is the. voluntary what will be eventually the whole city food waste compost you know the thing that's very interesting to me is the way um this is all being under mayor adams it's all kind of being shown as like this is how we're going to fight the rats but my take is until we have a better system for like restaurant and business and commercial business trash Mm -hmm. i don't know Mm -hmm. how much 
mm-hmm. how much better it's going to You know, because look, if I'm a rat, I'm going to a restaurant. Right. Like, like, why am I going to Katie's house where, you know, like a few people live there versus yeah. like a full on restaurant where it's just. Yeah. And you, well, you remember the rats like during COVID when the restaurants shut down, they were like, listen, we're taking to these streets. We're going to fight these cats and we're going to find food for ourselves. Right. I mean, know, they're doing what they have to do, you know? Right. And I don't know. I just don't know. It's hard to quantify if, like because of this. And of course, like changing the time when you're putting the trash out, what will happen, putting it out earlier. But I just. Maybe and the city again. bins. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I mean, here's the, <laughs> when I, when I sort of think about some of these proposals, it's sort of like, we're trying to combat, you know, polluting the ocean. Chrissy, you can't have straws. I was like, oh, really? Like, we don't want to target corporations. We want to target Chrissy and her straw. Like, settle down. So it's, you know, it seems like we're going for like the lowest hanging fruit as opposed to big structural change that could make a difference. You know, like, it, again, these these sort of big restaurants that have way more trash than sort of a local building. I do love this idea of, like, trying to figure out a rat problem because we don't want to be like D.C., where it's just, like, overrun with rats and we're, like, you know, it feels like... Is it? Not in. even, like, metaphorically? D.C. is gross. Like, they I haven't get been way more rats <laughs> than we do. And I also don't like D.C. But, like, D.C. is way more rats than we do. And they're, they're like, aggressive like jerk rats. So um, everyone knows that like, you know, the white house and like the vice president's residence. I mean, it's just like rats are like at the front door. Hey, what's up? Um, So I understand like needing to combat rats, but it's just, you know, I don't know if these bins are necessarily going to do the job that they need to do. Like, cause there's some bins, but it's not all bins. I just also feel like, other European cities have figured this out with like trash. And I know that this is a much smaller scale. I get it. But like certain Chinese cities have figured this out. Like, I don't understand why we're not looking at global cities to sort of have more efficient practices and policies because like we are a city of 9 million people, but there are lots of cities that are bigger than we are, you know, Asian cities specifically. And European cities have been dealing with sort of water and rats for years. I mean, I get it. The Bronx is the only borough that's technically on mainland United States, continental U.S. The rest of us are just islands floating around. So, like, we are going to have a certain percentage of rats. That's just, you know, we've got way too many boats that come in and they bring in new rats and adaptive rats and all the things. So, and rats we know can multiply pretty quickly. So, I mean, I think my my frustration is we just kind of, we keep putting kind of Band-Aids on this larger problem. So it's like the trash bins don't seem, it's it's not enough of them to really, you know, be effective. Um, I am interested in this composting idea just because we no, have yeah, I seen think it's great. In, yeah. in like smaller European cities. Um, it has reduced a lot of waste. Um I think we could do some interesting things with, you know, composting and putting it back into the parks department and, you know, but there also has to be an education piece. So like if we have composting in schools, I remember this was a big conversation in 2013 during the mayor's race then, but it's like, if we have composting in schools where we're teaching kids how to compost, then they are the ambassadors of their families. So when mom and dad are scraping, you know, the wrong types of food into the compost bin, they can say, no, mom and dad, like actually- this is trash. This is compost. And then we can actually have a, a functioning compost program. So, like, I think that, you know, going back to Mayor Adams, 
campaign promise about like, we are not going to just deal with the people who are drowning at the bottom of the waterfall. We're going to go up to the top and like figure out why they're falling in. Like, this is a classic case of like, why are we not getting young people or like have, you know, a little good competition, right? Having schools compete and then having like neighborhoods compete to figure out like the best way to compost and then, you know, put it back into their communities. It's worked in other cities. So I'm just like, why are we yeah. reinventing wheels constantly? I think, and maybe again, I'm just getting old and crotchety. Maybe. And I'm now, maybe I've been <laughs> so beaten down my lifetime in New York City where I'm like, oh, the train service can't get any better. Uh, 10 minutes is fine. And then I'm also thinking, look, I'm not a betting woman, but if I had to bet on the city or the rats, I'm betting on the rats. And <laughs> it's just because they've been here for so long. They're unstoppable. They, um, they, they, as you said, they reproduce like crazy. They're smart. You know, when we spoke to the author of the book, Rats, they're very, mm-hmm. very intelligent creatures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as of course, I've watched films where a rat learned how to make French cooking. Um, so that <laughs> is, you know. Oh, hold on. Can we just take a beat? I'm sorry. You know, I love a tangent. Katie, can we just zoom out 30,000 feet? What insane person is sitting around the table and it's like, hey, Katie, I want to pitch an idea for a cartoon movie. Sure thing, Chris. What is it? It's like, okay, so you know how everyone's worst fears thinking that a rat is in the kitchen? How about we make a movie about a rat who's a chef? Like, that is everyone's worst nightmare. How is how was that a hit movie? Well, I'm look, talking about I Ratatouille mean, listeners. I know he was. And it's called Ratatouille. Like, what? <laughs> he was a mouse and not a rat. But oh, American Tail 5. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> that Ratatouille was a rat. Ra- ra- Remy was a rat. Like, for sure. Ugh. But I'm also thinking of... American Tale, right? Mm-hmm. American Tale, Fievel Goes West. Like, I, the way that I loved and cared for Fievel Mouskowitz, who was a mouse. I don't want to see yeah. a mouse in real life. But the no. way that I love that movie, to me, it's one of the best New York City movies, the first American Tale. But yeah, Ratatouille, I love Ratatouille as well. My nephew loves the movie Ratatouille. He's got a little stuffed rat. There's a Ratatouille <laughs> ride in Disney World. I think it is... I think it was very intelligent. See, you're getting film criticism on this podcast. Who knew? It's not just New York City stuff. <laughs> oh, well, listen. Was... Don't let me go into the, the theater critique rabbit hole because, you know, I have thoughts and preguntas. <laughs> no, this, I think it was a revolutionary film to take a reviled animal in the animal kingdom and humanize mm-hmm. him. Okay. You know, I mean, look. And Remy really were rooting for him at the end. Do I want, you know, there was in the news, do I want to see a rat carcass in my soup from a restaurant? No. Right. But will I watch Ratatouille? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe I will. I just, I love that movie. It's Paris. It's romantic. Come on. I mean, just the the setting is romantic. I love it. But I think. I haven't seen Fievel. What's it called? Mm. American. What's it called? American Tale? American Tale. Oh, my God. I haven't seen it since. I think I saw it in the theater. I have not been able to watch it. Whatever it is, I think I'm like mentally scarred as a child because first of all, that song, that theme song, too much for me, too much for me to handle. And then I don't even think I've seen Five Goes West because it wasn't as I was I was like scarred by that movie. I was like, it's too much. This is like intense. So and then Ratatouille, I think I was just so grossed out because I was like, I don't ever want to think about an insect or rodent anywhere near my kitchen, my bathroom, or my entire home. Like you've never seen a Bug's Life either, I guess. And the pix I think that's also no. So I think that's a Pixar. Yeah, no, (laughs) no. no. But I mean, I am also like there's. It's weird. 
I will kill certain bugs and certain bugs. I'm like, oh, let me let me return you back to your home. Like mosquitoes and flies, you're dead. But like other bugs, I'm sort of like, eh, there's no need to kill you just to kill you. So like I will, you know, get my little sheet of paper and like try and usher them back outside. No, I, I'll kill a roach when I have, when I've had roaches. Oh yeah, well I, that too. Yeah. I am ruthless. I am just, and I, when I have a fly and I've done this at our city hall press office, cause sometimes I open a window, we don't have a screen. Of course the flies come in. I have a water sprayer mm. and I, that's how I get them. I slow them down with, oh. and I kind of have good aim. So okay. I do that at home too. Spray everyone flies. with water, trying to kill the fly. It's just, it's horrible. So I'm not, um, I have contradictions in my uh, animal. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like, listen, you know, I'm a birder. I don't like pigeons. And like, you know, that's the beef in the bird community because people are like, if you like birds, you like all birds. I'm like, no, No, I love pigeons. And and here's the thing. Pigeons are gross only because we're gross. They're not gross birds. Like, you know, everyone's like, they're sky rats. It's like, no, actually, they're, if you look at them, they're quite beautiful. Um, But they only get this like bad, dirty rap because they live with dirty human beings. That's it. But I still have like, you know, with my bird feeder, I'm like, you're not welcome. I'm like, you guys eat chicken bones for Pete's sake. Like, leave the seeds for like the cute little sparrows. And well, that's, you know, that's beef in the bird community. I feed the birds too, and I don't get any pigeons. Um, So mm-hmm. I guess it's what I'm feeding them, whatever whatever I'm getting in the garden shop. But I guess <laughs> to, if we wanted to close it out, and we can invite our listeners to share their picks. What is your, if it's not, you know, I guess American Tale is one of my favorite New York City movies, especially the immigration story as seen through through animals. Chrissy, what is your favorite New York City movie, if you can think of one off the Oh, I have one. That's super easy. I just want to point out that our producer, Adam, put in the chat that the Muppets Take Manhattan has the best rats oh. in the kitchen. So You're, No. He, okay. and yeah, and they're running the diner. They, they come on. <laughs> but still, it's like, no. Okay, so obviously, my favorite movie, Katie, is Coming to America. I wrote oh, a whole yeah, book yeah. called Black Ethnics. Like, that's how much I love the movie. <laughs> it's basically right. an ode to Coming to America. But, I mean, the fact that they're in Queens, right? I yeah. mean, now, granted, I was born in Queens, and then we we left when I was a young person. But, like, that's why I'm a Mets fan. That's why I still have a, a deep love for for that borough. And, you know, it's like, I have a deep love for hip hop because, you know, that was the time of like Run DMC and LL Cool J. And then obviously you think about like Tribe Called Quest. So like, there's something very special about Queens to me, but coming to America to me is a quintessential New York story, you know, and because it has immigration, it has like the tensions between black people and Africans that like are very real. You know, we have this outer borough kind of existence, but then they like go into Manhattan and have a like a romantic date, which kind of reminds me of like King of Queens, you know, with Carrie Mm -hmm. always wanting to like, you know, be in Manhattan and live in Manhattan. Solid, solid show. Um, So yeah, I feel like that's my New York movie. But then, you know, honestly, like, Royal Tenenbaums is like one well, my third favorite movie. Sound of Music is my second. Um, Royal Tenenbaums, it's like that's filmed in Harlem, you know, and it has that weird Wes Anderson vibe, but like it's still kind of New York to me because the characters are so weird and quirky and odd. It definitely has like a, a New York vibe to me. Yeah. And you, madam? See, now I asked it and now I'm uh Muppet Take Manhattan, I do love American <laughs> Tale. Um, are we going to have like an FAQ movie night where our listeners um, can come and watch movies? We and we can, It could be, be like Mystery Science Theater 3000 and have Harry. <laughs> that like, would be, I this love is terrible. This is a I bad thing. I am a thing. big movie person. Um, <laughs> God, you I, know, see, I like movies, but I never go to the theater to see them. Oh, I'm I go to the theater, the theater. Like I go to the movie theaters like once a year. I go to the theater theater like three times a month, four times a month. I'm the opposite. I My whole birthday tradition is I love to see like – a movie. And my thing is, I wish they, 
I guess the earliest movie showing you could see, sometimes they do like a 9 a.m. I love going to the movies early in the morning. Like Ooh. if there was a theater with like an 8.30 a.m. showing, I would love that. I just love sitting in the theater. I also love oh. going alone, oddly enough. I don't know if that makes me sound um, <laughs> like a loner, but it's just you, you I don't go think I've in the ever theater. Done that. Oh, I do it all the I time. I go so infrequently. So like, you know, it's always like an event. Yeah. No, it is my thing. I mean, I just love sitting in a dark theater, getting popcorn uh, or seltzer or like a Diet Coke and just letting the th- – now movies are so long that it does turn out to be like three hours. Just sitting there for as long as – you know, as long as – I always say through the end of the credits. That's just – I just love movies. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, You've the- inspired me. I'm going to no, go to – because the- I still haven't seen Creed three. Oh, um, my God. I haven't seen – oh, there's something else I wanted to see. And I can't recall. I'm not like a Marvel just, person, but and because um, you know you have a you know because your schedule, I guess, is you you you're you're not wa- working. You're working a lot, but you're not doing a solid clock in nine to five. No, you could do a like a 10 a.m. movie on a Tuesday, right? Is well, I mean, that here's the is thing. the best. I get so angry when I end up doing things at the same time as people who have nine to fives. Like if mm-hmm. I'm at the grocery store at six o'clock, I'm angry at myself because it's like you shouldn't be here with nope. the masses. You actually have a schedule where you you don't have to do this. Like, go on your off times. Like, I'm yeah. going to go to the grocery store after this, actually. I'm mad at like you for going at that. six. <clears throat> yeah, me too. I feel like, you know, I'm part of the problem. I'm I'm creating traffic. Okay, <laughs> per usual, I've dragged you into a tangent. I'm sorry. But that that is, I'll, <laughs> I'll go with an American tale for now. Okay. But American listeners, tale. you could tag both of us. We're do we, I sound like I'm doing a viewer call-in show, but, you know, <laughs> that's what we're doing. But, um. I think that's it for us this week. I do appreciate everyone tuning in. Harry, we'll see you next week. Harry, we'll see you next week. Katie, I adore you. Queens girls rule. We can say that. Yeah, they're all queens episodes. (laughs) All queens all the time. FAQ. Hey, this has been FAQ NYC. We're part of the city, a nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Our work is freely available to everyone at thecity.nyc and is supported by listeners and readers like you. Go to thecity.nyc slash give if you'd like to pitch in. We're an affiliate of NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists. Find it all at popula.com. Our hosts for this episode are Katie Honan and myself, Chrissy Greer. Harry Siegel is our executive producer, and Adam Kamara is our engineer. Thank you, listener, for joining us making it this far. Be kind, be well, be cool, be warm, and we'll be back next week with more. <laughs>